worship team for leading us uh, in worship this morning. We are grateful uh, for the ways the Lord is using them to lead us in this, those times of worship through song, through scripture, through prayer, and we appreciate it, appreciate their ministry to us. So we are in this uh, series in the book of Matthew, um, subtitled, Jesus is Different. We've been looking at various uh, themes, but today we look at the topic that because Jesus is different, he is doing something new. Uh, you may have heard or seen in the bulletin that we are in the midst of a two-week fast. We're coming towards the end of it. Wednesday, it will uh, finish. It will conclude on Wednesday. And in that time, uh, we will be uh, coming together just to listen to what the Lord has been saying. Although in our times and gatherings already, we've already been hearing the Lord speak in various ways. And so if you have not been a part of that two-week fast, um, it would not be too late just to engage in fasting in these last couple days leading up to the end on Wednesday. Um, never too late to join in. We invite you to do that. And if you're wondering what is fasting all about, it's mentioned here in this passage today. There is a handout on the table in the entryway. Uh, it'll just give you a little more understanding of what fasting is about and maybe some ways to practice it uh, that the Holy Spirit might help you to engage in that way. But as I said, the Lord's been speaking, and he's been speaking with several key passages and themes that have been arising already. And one of the themes is that he is doing something new in us and through us. And one of the passages that has been shared is from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, but this morning, I want to just focus on this uh, small section, verses 18 and 19, as we launch into this message. The Lord says, forget the former things. And in the former things, a few verses before that, were all the miracles that the Lord had done prior in Israel's history. Uh, like leading them through the Red Sea. That's a pretty big miracle, delivering them from slavery in Egypt. And the Lord is saying, forget them. In other words, he always asks them to remember the things that he has done. It's building history with the Lord. But he's saying, don't dwell back on what I have done in the past. How many of us know that it's easy to live off the things that have been in the past? We live off of the history that God has already done, and sometimes we say, that's where I want to be. But the Lord says, don't for, or forget those former things. Don't dwell on them and live on them. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. That is exciting stuff. And I believe that just as the Lord was speaking that to uh, the people of Judah and Israel, he is reminding us that he is a God that is doing something new. And this morning we see that in this passage, that the Lord is doing something new. But if we're honest with ourselves, many of us don't like new things. Because most, if not all of us, don't like change. We like stability. We like the sense of knowing what to expect. There is comfort in normalcy. And when there is this idea that Jesus is doing something new, that may set us a little bit like, I don't know, I like this too much because I like the way it's been. I like the way things are now. But Jesus 
is different. In that he is always on the move. He is always doing something new. And he is always inviting us into that new thing. To bring the kingdom of God to earth. and To welcome his rule and reign in a greater way. This morning, we want to take time to look at three truths of the newness that Jesus brings and how he is bringing that newness to our church family. Jesus is up to something new. Three truths. The first truth, and there are sermon notes in your bulletin with the fill-ins on the screen. The first truth is this, that the new expands incomplete understandings. The new expands incomplete understandings. Reading again in Matthew 9, 14 and 15, it says, John then John's dis disciples came to him and asked him, Jesus, how is it that we and the, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. John's disciples, John the Baptist, come and ask Jesus, why do we and why do the Pharisees fast? Why do we give up food to seek God and your disciples, they don't? Jesus explains the reason why they don't by, tell, by giving them an example. He says, when the bridegroom is with the guests, there is no reason for mourning. There was whole Jewish tradition that when uh, a, a man and a woman would come together to be betrothed or our idea today would be engaged. After this engagement ceremony, the bridegroom would go off and prepare a home for his new bride-to-be. And when everything was done and the father of the bridegroom said, go get your bride, he would go. Meanwhile, the, the bride was back with her matrons of honor, they're preparing and they're watching and waiting for the time when the bridegroom would come. And there would be, when the bridegroom would come, those who were attending the bride would come out and they would meet him and there'd be a big celebration and they would escort him in and there would be the celebration of the wedding. And this celebration was not a one-day affair. It wasn't a two-day affair or three. It was a week-long celebration. It was a party to end all parties. In a time when there was not a lot as far as material wealth and things, this was a big deal for the family to throw a seven-day party and everyone was invited. But in this period where the bridegroom was not there, there would be this mourning, there would be this waiting. And so Jesus is referencing this and saying, when the bridegroom isn't there, then the guests mourn. But when the bridegroom is there, the guests are happy. When the bridegroom isn't there, the guests fast. But when the bridegroom is there, it's party time. You're going to eat. You're going to enjoy. You're going to celebrate. And so Jesus is alluding to this picture that they probably didn't have the full understanding of at this time in that he is the bridegroom or the husband of his people. And when he was present, there was no reason for everyone to mourn and fast because the one they were waiting for, the one they would have been sorrowful, waiting, fasting for his arrival, he was there. 
It was party time. It was celebration time. The one that they were waiting for was with them. John's disciples understood that they should fast. And they did. The Pharisees understood that they should fast. And they did. But they did not understand that it was not needed when Jesus was there because the one they were waiting for had arrived. Their understanding in and of itself of we need to fast was right. But it was not complete. They didn't understand that when the one they were waiting for had come, that they did not have to do it anymore. Friends, let me propose to you this morning that there are truths that we know and that we understand, but not completely. In fact, I believe that not only in this life, how many of you know that there is always something new to understand regarding Jesus in this life? That every time we gather around the word of God, every time we worship and pray, that he is giving us something new, a fuller understanding of himself and what he is at work doing. And I even believe that it is very possible that heaven, eternity, that we will not be able in all of eternity to get the full understanding. (laughs) Because he is that big, he's that great, he's that marvelous, he's that wonderful, that even all of eternity there's going to be things that we're like, man, I can't wait to learn a little bit more. I can't wait to get a little more understanding of this God that we love and that we serve. There's always going to be more to know. There's always going to be more understanding that he has for us. Friends, don't get caught thinking that we understand it all. If we were to understand it all, that puts us in the place of God. And we are not God. There is a humility that is needed. It's okay to say, I don't understand everything. There are things of faith that I don't quite wrap my head around. There are new discoveries that I'm learning as he reveals himself to me through his word, as he reveals himself to me by the work of the Holy Spirit. There are new understandings. And that puts us in a posture and a place to receive that. It's okay to say, I don't know it all because that gives us opportunity to receive from the one who does. And so Jesus is in the midst of expanding incomplete understandings. We see this truth clearly in children, don't we? Children are constantly learning. Whether it's in sports or in music or in science or in technology or in nature or in mathematics, whatever it may be, they understand and they begin to understand things at a basic level. And what they learn is absolutely true. But what they don't know, that parents and teachers and coaches and all kinds of others in their lives do understand, is that they don't understand the completeness of it. And so those in their lives are always working to help expand their understanding. What they know is right, 
but they only have a piece of it, a portion. They know what they need to know. But as they go through life, as we all go through life, our understanding expands. Jesus is always at work to increase our understanding, that we might know him and know how to live with him so that it's more complete. The new that Jesus is up to, one of these truths, is that he is working to expand our incomplete understandings of him. The second truth that we see in this passage is this. The new can't fix the old. The new can't fix the old. Verse 16 says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Jesus gives the first of two examples of the newness that he is and that he was bringing. And he relates that a new, unshrunk patch cannot be put on a tear on an old garment because as it's washed for the first time, that patch will begin to shrink. And as it shrinks, it will begin to pull on the thread that is there and it will tear away and will actually make the tear worse. An unshrunk cloth cannot repair an old, old patch. You would first have to shrink the cloth to put it on. Jesus' point is this. He is saying, I am a new unshrunk patch. You cannot place me, he is saying, on existing systems of, of religion and Judaism. What he was about to do in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection could not just be added to what was already existing. It couldn't just be an add-on. It couldn't be a Jesus plus what everybody knew. It was, it's time to figure out and understand that Jesus is doing a whole new thing. Adding him to it just would not work. Jesus came to bring the newness of the kingdom of God to his hearers old, worn out, man-made system. The basics of it, the garments, so to speak, would still be present. Things like it is impossible to please God without faith. Believing God brings righteousness to a person. All of the old system pointed to Jesus, but it wasn't to be lived in forever. And they had so many extra rules and laws that they added for the system of the day to help them understand what God had given to them in the first place. And Jesus is saying, you can't just put me on everything that you've created. Because if you do, I'm going to pull it away and it's going to be worse than it was before. You need a new way. You need a new system. I'm bringing a new way for you to interact with the Father, and I am, Jesus says, the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. A new way was here. I don't know if you've experienced this in your life, but Jesus has a way of wrecking the systems we have created and of wrecking our ways of doing things. When I first began as a pastor, 
I had a philosophy that centered around working hard, gathering as many people as I could through programs and attractive services and attractive events to hear the word of God. Gathering people to hear the word of God is not a bad thing. But there were ways that I was going about it that was based on human effort, human wisdom. Some of it was good. Some of it was not so good. But it was based on human effort and strategies or systems. Then I went on a missions trip, and I saw the Holy Spirit at work in a way that I never saw the Holy Spirit at work and led me on a, a, a journey to discover the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And as the Holy Spirit began to do that, and I began to understand what being empowered by the Spirit looked like, one day while I was praying, the Lord gave me a picture. And it was a picture of a wrecking ball and an existing structure. And the wrecking ball came and just knocked the whole structure down to the very foundation. And the Lord said very clearly, I'm knocking everything that you've built down. And we will rebuild this based on my power and not yours. If I had just added the Holy Spirit to everything that I had done already, it would have just pulled and made it worse. It needed a whole new system, a whole new philosophy, a whole new of way of doing things, a whole new approach to church. Because the way that I had operated, the way that I had crafted my ministry approach, adding the Holy Spirit's empowerment and the work of Jesus that he was doing new just would not have fit. Sometimes the old has to be torn down because the old cannot be fixed by the new. Third truth is this. The old cannot contain the new. Verse 17 says, Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Jesus gives the second of two examples, this one of new and New wine and new wineskins and old wineskins. In Jesus' day, the juice from the grapes, grapes were a big thing, vineyards all over Israel. The grapes would be harvested, they would be separated out, and then they would be usually stamped down. The juice would be squeezed, not by presses, but by stomping on them and squeezing the juice out. And the juice would then be uh, collected and would be stored. And they would be stored in animal skins, kind of like this. All of you are saying that is nasty, right? <laughs> but they would dry the animal skins to develop a kind of leather, and then these would be used, this would be an example of a wine skin. And as they would put the freshly squeezed juice into these wine skins, there would be a process that would begin, and that process, you may be aware of, is fermentation. 
the juice would begin to ferment. And fermentation is that process in which yeast begins to consume the sugars that were present in the grape juice. And over time, as that process would take place, alcohol would be produced in the wine, or it would turn grape juice into wine. But at the same time that all of this yeast is consuming the sugars and alcohol is being produced, there is a byproduct that is produced as well, and that byproduct is the gas carbon dioxide. So imagine you have, and anytime you ferment anything, you have to figure out a way to let that gas get out. Or if you don't, it will expand so far that the pressure will build up so great that there will be a massive explosion. And you will lose the product and you may hurt others around. And so first century people had figured this out, that there were ways that they would get an animal skin that would have small pores in the, in the skin that would allow for some of that gas to escape. But the rest of it is the skins would be very stretchy, very malleable. And as this process, this chemical reaction was taking place, it would push out and these skins would stretch and the gas and the air would, would go into every nook and cranny of those skins, and it would work. There would be wine at the end. Now, the problem is that the stretching, that the expansion, that the skins would undergo, it could only handle it one time. It was one-time use, because if you were to put that skin through that process one more time, that skin would have been dried out, it would have stretched too far, and eventually it would not be able to contain all of that pressure, and boom, you would lose the wine and the wineskin. So Jesus is saying this. They would have understood this perfectly. They would have understood that you cannot put new wine into an old wineskin. An old cannot contain the new. There has to be a new skin for new wine. Jesus, once again, is saying this. I am the new wine. He's saying, in order to contain me, there is going to need to be a new wine skin. Because what has always been will not be able to contain what I am doing. Just like a patch could not fix the old, so the wineskin could not contain the new. We're still working with wine and wineskins. The core of faith always remains the same. But Jesus' new way brought by his life, death, and resurrection needs new systems to be able to contain what he is doing. There was a need for something new. Hear me out for a moment. I often hear people say, what we need is prayer and the Ten Commandments back in our schools. 
or what we need is to do church the way it was in 19-whatever, and when we did X, Y, and Z. Or we need families and kids and men and women to be like this when life was like this. Have you heard those? In other words, we need to get back to the way things were. Now, a lot of those things, prayer, the Ten Commandments, are those bad? No. We need prayer. We need to live by the Ten Commandments. Is it bad to honor what God did back in the early days when Reverend Crawl was here in the little red brick church? Is it bad to honor that and to celebrate what God did in those days and to say praise the Lord and what he did over the history of Dorseyville? Is it bad to do that? No, we honor those who have gone before. Is it bad to say that children and families and men and women need to be devoted to the Lord and to the ways of the kingdom? No. None of these things in and of themselves are bad. What we're saying is what was before God was doing uniquely at that time. But I don't know if you realize this. The world has changed. Our communities have changed. People have changed. God did something in the past in a new way to reach people and to minister to people and to move in our country and in our world in a way that was according to where people were at and what was going on in the world. But the situations then and the ways that people live and think today are drastically different than before. Would you agree? Things have changed. But here's what we want to do sometimes. <laughs> we want to take the old wineskin and say, if we just recover the wineskin the way we did it today, well, God's going to move again. God's going to work again. But what Jesus is saying is, what I did before, the way I did it, that's a wineskin, a system that was used by me in that time that today is not then. If we take the way that we did it then and try to bring it to now, all we're going to get is a mess. If we expect that everybody in the community is just going to say, you know what, one day I think I'm going to go to church. And so we got to have everything ready for them when they come to church. Do you know what the fastest group religiously is in our country today? A group called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who say, I don't have a religious affiliation and I'm not interested in a religious affiliation. It's the reality of where we're at. But if we're expecting, let's bring the old wineskin to today, we're going to be ready for a people who has no interest in what was always done. 
Now, that could be really depressing. And it can be sad. Sometimes we need to take some time to grieve and acknowledge that the way things were is not the way they are today. Instead of trying to make it the way it was, say, Lord, if I'm taking what you're saying, if I'm understanding it, there's actually hope for today. Because you're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your truths are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are still one who is moving and working. And so I believe that you're doing something new. The question is, how do we contain it? How do we get on board with it? How do we follow what you are doing that is so new? I want you to have hope today that God is doing a new thing. He's inviting us to be focused afresh on living in the river of his presence. And he's even giving us prophetic pictures and understanding little by little of how to live in this new thing. Based off these three truths, I want to leave us quickly with three things off of these that I believe he's doing currently. Here they are. The first, in this idea of expanding our understanding, I believe the Lord is expanding our understanding of Christ's presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe he's doing that in our times of scripture study. I believe he's doing that in worship. I believe he's doing that in times of prayer. And I believe he's doing that as we are fasting in these two weeks. He's teaching us that all of these things are necessary to understand how to live in the river of Christ's presence and to embrace the fullness of the work of his spirit more and more. He's expanding our understanding in this season. I believe he's also helping us to understand that putting an old patch or a new patch on an old garment is not where we should be. And instead, I believe he's doing away with the system of waiting for people to come to us. Doing away with the system of waiting for people to come to us. And I believe he's doing a new work of sending us out into the world as carriers of his presence. There was a wonderful picture that was given during our time of worship and prayer on Wednesday night as we journeyed through three different passages, listening to what the Lord was saying. And that was as the river goes into Uh, Ezekiel 47 goes into the salty water. That fresh water begins to go in and it begins to interact with the salt water and begins to change it and slowly it breaks through. Sometimes we may think, oh, the river flows and boom, the whole consistency has changed. But I love the picture that as the river flows into the salt water, that as it flows, where it comes in contact with begins to be changed from salt to fresh. 
And as it flows a little further, the new salt water it begins to come in contact with turns from salt to fresh. And it slowly changes. And this beautiful picture that as we live in the river of God's presence, we are carried into those places. We are sent out to join him in changing the world around us, not waiting for the world to come to us. I believe that this is what God is doing. Now, how do we figure all the intricacies and all the plans out that he has? the same way that we've received what we've had already. And that is to listen, to be in worship, prayer, scripture, fasting as he gives us direction, but to wait upon the Lord, believing that he has a plan, that he is working, that he is doing something new. And as he does something new, he's inviting us into it. Friends, my question for us this morning is just simply this. Are we willing to receive the new? Are we willing to receive the new? Knowing that that will mean our understandings will broaden. What we've always known, we're going to increase in our understanding. Saying yes to being willing for the new will mean that there's going to be not just do things the way it always was done. And we need to leave all of our preferences and all of our opinions at the foot of the cross so that we can pick up saying yes to what is new. We can pick up, Lord, what is the new wineskin that you have that will contain the new wine that is flowing? simply, Lord, we are open for your new. Oftentimes, Jesus says to count the cost ahead of time. And we don't know how costly it will be. We don't know what the big picture will look like. But he asks us simply to say, are we willing to say, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, our answer is yes. You have our yes. You have our yes. Whatever the new work, now and on and on, is, you have our yes. As we go to prayer, just ask you just to sit with that question for a moment with the Lord. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Abba, Father in heaven, as we began at the beginning, 
looking at that scripture in Isaiah. Do you perceive it? I'm doing something new. Do you perceive it? Father, to the degree that we can, I believe we can say yes. We perceive that you are doing something new. Lord, I pray in the ways that only you can that you would bring us to wrestle with that question to where we can say, yes, we will receive. And we will embrace the new that you are doing. You are a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, yet you are always at work doing something new. We anchor our feet in your unchanging character and your unchanging nature and in your unchanging word, but we say yes to the ways in which you choose to move and to carry all of those things out. expand our understandings. Help us to not get so tied to the old ways, to honor the old ways, but to say, Lord, we're, we're ready for whatever the new thing is and to embrace it fully. Give us grace for that, Lord. Give us grace for it. And stir up hope within our hearts that you are God who uh, is on the move, that your kingdom is advancing so that when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done here on this earth as it is in heaven. It is with confidence that you are doing something new and bringing your rule and reign more and more until the day when we see you face to face. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name.